In John chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he has. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus hath withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. The Apostle John is telling us who Jesus is, and he is demonstrating who Jesus is by the teachings of Jesus, by the miraculous works of Jesus, and he is demonstrating the divinity of Christ, how Christ is God in flesh. He is also showing us the humanity of Christ. He is showing us everything we need to know about Jesus. And as we go through these passages, we are going to see from time to time that there is a certain way that we need to be responding to Jesus. A, re a response of repentance, a response of faith, a response of acceptance, a response of worship, a response of gratitude, of joy, of appreciation, of worship. In John chapter 5, we examine the healing of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. Now this man had been paralyzed for 38 years. Now bear in mind that the lifespan of most people at that time was about 35 to 40, maybe 45 years. This man had been paralyzed 38 years, a lifetime by their standard. And he just kept living. And you can imagine the hopelessness. If you have ever been sick for a long time, you can imagine the hopelessness of being paralyzed, of being infirmed, of being disabled for a lifetime, for an extended amount of time. You can imagine how hopeless this must have felt. This man had been disabled for 38 years, and this man had been unable to find healing for 38 years. He couldn't find a doctor to heal him, otherwise we would have never met him in the scriptures. And here he is at the Pool of Bethesda, and they have this understanding of the Pool of Bethesda that at a certain season or in certain seasons, an angel would stir the waters, the waters would be troubled, the waters would bubble up, and the first person in after that happened got healed. So this man thinks that his only hope is to get into this pool of Bethesda. The problem is he can't move himself. 
The problem is that every time these waters stir up, somebody else gets in before him. The problem is nobody else is going to help him. He's unable to enter this pool. Healing is just a few feet away, and he can't get there. How frustrating must that be? You ever feel like you're always about to turn the corner, but you can't turn the corner? Like, okay, all right, one more payment and it's mine. Then the transmission blows, okay? I've almost got this credit card paid off. And then your water heater, stove, and refrigerator go out the same weekend. We know that one, don't we, Jessica? I've almost got this thing figured out. And then you learn a whole new dimension that really messes things up. Okay, I'll be able to retire next year. And your 401k crashes because the market crashes. Anybody, do y'all know what I'm talking about here? Or am I alone in all this? I don't think I'm alone in all this. John chapter 5 cuts through all of that hopelessness. Jesus cuts through all of that hopelessness. We are going to learn from studying the plight of this man how to be healed. You see, we all have infirmities. We all have problems. We all have issues. Either we are condemned due to our sin. If you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, you still stand before the Lord condemned. Or we've been redeemed, we know the Lord is our Savior, but we're still bearing the scars of sin. We're still bearing the effects of our prior decisions. We are still living with the consequences. We have past trauma. We have emotional wounds. We have spiritual struggles. We have family problems. We have financial troubles. How can we be healed? How can we be healed? To be healed, we must first... Quit looking for healing in the wrong places. All right? Secondly, we must learn who to look to for the healing. And thirdly, we must learn to repent. So to be healed, we must first learn to quit looking in the wrong places. We find this man at the pool of Bethesda following a story about an angel who stirs the water. Now this man has heard that there's an angel that stirs these waters, and the first one in the waters after they're stirred gets healed, and so that's where he's going to go. He is following a saying, he is following a story, he is following a legend. Where you don't find this man is at the temple. You don't find this man in the Lord's presence. You don't find this man seeking after the Lord. Now maybe he did go to synagogue when he was younger in hopes that going to synagogue and being good and obedient would lead to his healing. But you don't find him in the Lord's presence at this particular time. And so he's not in the Lord's presence. And when Jesus asked him if he wants to be healed, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, God in flesh, this man's creator, the one who gave this man life, Jesus, who, by the way, at this point does have a following, walks up to this man and says, do you want to be healed? And what does this man talk about? He doesn't talk. He doesn't say yes. Y'all notice that? Jesus says, if you're in the King James Version, wilt thou be made whole? He doesn't say yes. What does he talk about? He talks about the fact that he can't get in the pool. He talks about the fact nobody's going to help him get in the pool. Nobody's going to help me get in the pool. I can't get in the pool. I'm paralyzed. I can't do this myself. I can't do it on my own. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And the man says, here are all the problems. Would you like to be healed? I can't get in the pool. So wasn't the question. Do you want to be healed? Nobody's going to help me get in the pool. Wasn't the question. Do you want to be healed? I'm paralyzed. 
This man is looking at everything but the solution, everything but what he wants. None of this is the answer to the Lord's question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? This man did what many of us do. We get so focused on the pain and the problem that we look right past the solution. We look right past the Lord who will heal us. This man looked at himself. He can't get himself in the pool. I can't get myself in the pool. This man looked to others. All these people around the pool, nobody's going to help him in. How selfish. Nobody cares about me. Nobody thinks about me. They only think about themselves first. Why should we expect any different? He's looking at the problem. He's looking at the others who wouldn't help him. Probably maybe envious of those who had the ability to step into the pool themselves. And they wouldn't help him. This man focused on the problem. And he focused on the lack of help. Have y'all ever done that? Been so focused on the problem. Been so focused on how everybody else is not helping you. Been focused on how everything is going wrong and all the hurdles that are there that are in the way of your healing that you forget that that's not where you find the healing in the first place. To be healed, we must quit looking in the wrong places. You cannot look to yourself for healing. You cannot heal yourself. You cannot just get over it. You know, we talk about kids who have been through traumatized childhoods and they have PTSD and trauma from, you know, abusive parents and traumatic events and why can't they just get over it? They can't. We might as well go down to the hospital, find the man in the wheelchair and tell him to stand up and walk. He can't do that either. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the wheelchair. You can't look to yourself and you cannot heal yourself and you cannot look to others and others cannot heal you. And guess what? Others are not going to heal you. They've got their own problems they're focused on. They're so focused on their problems, they can't see yours. And you're so focused on your problem, you can't see theirs. Others can't heal you. Your parents can't heal you. Your mom, your dad, they can't make it all better. Moms and dads, we love to think we can make it all better. We can't make it all better for them. And you can't look to your parents to make it all better. Your parents messed up when they were raising you. They cannot undo that. They can't undo that. Your parents can't heal you. Your spouse can't heal you. You cannot look to your husband or your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance, and expect that they will be able to provide you the emotional nourishment to bring you healing. They cannot do that. Your children cannot bring you healing. People want to find comfort in their babies and in their children. There's joy in babies. There's joy in children. There's joy in spouses, husbands, and wives. And there's joy in parenting. But we can't find healing in those things. And if you're going to expect your children to bring you some sort of emotional wholeness, you're putting a burden on them that they cannot bear. To expect others to heal us is to abuse others by placing an impossible burden upon them. We cannot be healed by looking to others. And it's unfair to others to expect that they should come through and heal for us. People talk about finding the right one, finding the right one, finding the right one. There is no right one. God did not create another person whose purpose in life 
is to make you happy. The right one doesn't exist. The one you're married to is the right one. We find that God works through each other, but we can't look to others for healing apart from God. And we cannot be healed by focusing on the problem. Focusing on the problem drowns out all joy in life. It drowns out all goodness from your life. It will obscure any hope, any confident expectation that you will have in life if you are focused on the problem. There are problems. I've got problems. You've got problems. We can talk about those problems. We can talk about the financial problems. We can talk about the career problems. We can talk about the relationship problems. We, maybe you have a kid that's gone left. We can talk about those problems and the emotional problems that, and we can just talk about the problems, the problems, the problems, the problem, 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 problem. And the more we talk about these problems, the less we're going to talk about what God has done for us. The less we're going to see our joy, the less we're going to see our hope. You see, life will give you a bunch of reasons to be hurt. Life will give you a truckload of reasons to be angry. Life will bring in shipping containers full of reasons to be anxious. We only need one reason to be grateful. We only need one reason to be joyful. We only need one reason to be hopeful. We need to learn where to look. And we need to learn where to place our focus. So to be healed, we must learn where not to look, and we must learn where to the look. Where to to look, where to. I'm having trouble with my English. Um, anyway, the great irony of this situation is that you've got this man by the pool of Bethesda, and his focus is on the pool of Bethesda. He's watching that water, because I mean, his only hope here is to be the first one that falls in after that first bubble comes up. He's watching this water, and here Jesus comes. Would you be made whole? And he is so focused on this water and waiting for that thing to bubble up that he doesn't even realize who's talking to him. The creator of the universe is talking to him. He doesn't even notice. Furthermore, when the Lord heals him, he didn't even realize that it was Jesus who healed him. Those Pharisees said, you're not supposed to be carrying your bed today. He goes, well, the guy who healed me said I could. Well, who healed you? It's a good question. Hey, Bert, did you get his card? No, I, I don't know. I don't know. And if the story ended here, if the story ended here, we would have a man who had been healed physically but would have lost, died, and would have gone to hell because he wasn't looking in the right places. We need to learn where to look. We should learn to look not at our problems, but to the Lord. Now, we can sit here and be all funny about this guy that Jesus is talking to. We didn't even know Jesus was talking to him. Yet, here we are. We're surrounded by churches. I mean, you can't go half a mile from this building without passing another church. You go that way, you pass First Methodist. You go that way, you pass First Baptist. You go that way... I can't think of the name of it, but they're just on the other side of the hill from us. I, the, the brother works at Napa, who pastors that church. Um, you, you're going to cut back through this neighborhood back here to keep from going around First Methodist, and you come out to the highway, you're at Grace. You know, you can't go anywhere in early Texas without passing a church. We're surrounded by churches. 
Theology is different. Doctrine is different. Sometimes churches are just plain wrong, but you are surrounded by churches. You know what? You have access to the best Bible teaching of all time. And I'm not talking about myself here, okay? I'm talking about you can go online and hear sermons from any preacher that you want to listen to. Whether it's a big-name preacher, Charles Stanley, um, Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, whether it's a preacher nobody else has heard of, but you know he's a great guy. Most preachers are on Facebook at some capacity, have some kind of online ministry. If uh, you don't want to hear any of them, but you want to hear some of the great preachers from the past, you can look up their writings, and some of them have sermons that are posted online that were recorded way back when that someone has since digitized. You can go online for free and read Charles Spurgeon's sermons. You can't hear them preach them because they didn't have the recording technology back then, but you can read them. You can read them. Dr. S.M. Lockridge, y'all probably know him. He's the guy that preached the My King sermon and the Sunday's Coming sermon. You can do a search for S.M. Lockridge on YouTube, and there's a whole bunch of sermons that he preached that are gospel-centered, good sermons. The, the week that my family was unable to be here because we had been exposed to COVID, that's what we did. We gathered around in the living room, and we turned on YouTube, and we listened to Dr. S.M. Lockridge. And then I preached, so the kids got two sermons that morning. You've got access to the best Bible teaching. Yet instead of utilizing these resources to get to know Jesus better, I mean, we have Bibles in multiple different translations. They're freely available everywhere. Instead of using these resources to get to know Jesus better, we wind up getting to know our own thoughts. And instead of looking to the Lord, we wind up looking to ourselves. We need to get to know Jesus. We need to learn his voice. We need to recognize him, and we need to look to him for healing. If this man had known Jesus, if this man had known Jesus, when Jesus spoke to him, he had turned away from that pool, and he had begged the Lord to heal him, just like Jesus told the woman at the well. He said, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you'd ask me for water, for living water, and you'd never thirst again. If this man had known that it was Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, God in flesh talking to him, he wouldn't have talked about, well, oh, hey, Jesus, God, good to see you. Listen, I've got this problem with this pool. He wouldn't have said that. If he'd have known who Jesus was when Jesus was talking to him, he'd have turned his back on that pool and said, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, please heal me. If this man had known Jesus, he had turned away from his problem, from his pool, and he had begged the Lord for healing. If we knew Jesus, we would turn away from these earthly problems. We would turn away from all the hindrances all the emotional scars, we'd turn away from that and we'd turn to the Lord and we'd beg him for healing and for joy to restore the joy of our salvation if we would take time to know Jesus. Which brings us to our third point. To be healed, we must repent. This means you're turning. I mean, think about how insulting this would have been. Jesus walks up and says, would you like to be healed? And the man says, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Hey, son of God. Cool. Can you make, can you stir this water for me so I can jump down in here? You think that'd have been a little insulting toward the Lord? Hey, there you are. Fix this thing on my terms. That's a little like, we're not even acknowledging his position, are we? No, we need to repent. We need to turn away from that pool and we need to beg the Lord for healing. 
Jesus told this man in verse 14, he said, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more. That means to turn away from the sinful lifestyle and to turn away from your rebellion against God. To turn away from this pride that says, I can heal myself or that I demand to be healed on my terms. To turn away from that and to turn toward the Lord. To turn your focus to an exclusive faith and trust in God. Jesus said, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Well, what in the world could be worse than being 38 years paralyzed? Eternal damnation. That's what's worse. We cannot expect healing if we continue in the things that cause trauma. We cannot expect to be healed from our sin if we continue in our sin. There was a movie came out many years ago called City of Angels. And it was about this angel that fell from heaven so he could fall in love with this, um, with this heart surgeon. Starred Nicolas Cage. I think Meg Ryan was in that movie too. I can't find it anywhere. Anyway. But there's a scene in which this one guy is getting ready to undergo bypass surgery. And he's sitting in his hospital room with a gallon of ice cream, eating ice cream. And the doctor comes in and she says, I can save you. If you're not going to quit doing that, I'm, I'm going to save you $38,000 on this surgery you're about to have. In other words, if you're going to keep clogging your arteries with cholesterol and, and bad things, why are you going to spend 38, which that was a lot of money back in 1998. Why are you going to spend 38, well, it still is a lot of money, but it was more back then. Why are you going to spend $38,000 on a surgery to clean your arteries out if you're just going to clog them up again? Why would you do that? You see what I'm saying? We can't expect healing if we continue in the things that cause trauma. We cannot expect God to heal our marriages if we're going to continue to commit adultery. We cannot expect God to heal our finances if we are going to continue to act frivolously and we continue to make bad decisions in, in order to obtain instant gratification. We cannot expect God to heal our hearts if we are going to continue to move forward in anger and hate and division and pride. If we want to be healed, we should turn away from the things that cause the trauma. Repentance. Turn from sin. We cannot be healed if we remain condemned. Therefore, we must repent. And to repent, that means to turn. That means to change one's mind. To repent means to see sin for what it is, and to be grieved by it. To see sin for what it is, to be grieved by it, and to reject it. To see Christ for who he is, and to embrace him. So we see sin for what it is, we're grieved by it, we reject it, we turn away from it, and we see Jesus for who he is, and we embrace him. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not just acknowledging that sin's wrong. Repentance is rejecting sin altogether. This is not the way I'm going to live anymore. We cling on to the Lord. Faith without repentance is incomplete. Therefore, repentance is essential. I've talked a lot about this man from John chapter 5. And it's easy to ridicule this man, but at the end of the day, am I not this man? 
Do I not wake up in the morning thinking about all the junk I have to deal with today and everything I've got to put up with? I don't even want to go to work because I don't want to have to put up with that. And then there's going to be this, and I'm going to have to put up with this, and we go through life focused on the aggravations of life. I can sit here and ridicule this man for not recognizing Jesus when Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Yet I go through my day, and I've got the power of prayer. I've got the scriptures. I have got people praying for me, and I'm going to be the same way as this man. I need to repent, and you need to repent. All throughout this story, I want to say it's an account, not a story, because this really happened. Story may, not, may or may not have happened. One of the games my son Josh likes to play is when I tell him a story from my high school days, he tries to figure out what really happened and what did Dad embellish here. But all throughout this account, this written record of an event that really happened, you see how Jesus sought this man out. Jesus wasn't just walking by the pool and, oh, there's a paralyzed man here. No, Jesus knew where this man was and he sought him out and asked him, do you want to be healed? When this man took up his bed and walked, leaving Jesus behind and not even knowing who Jesus was, Jesus could have said, well, I guess that's how people are, you know. No, Jesus went and sought him out again, found him in the temple and ministered to him. And the funny thing is, this man was not that unique because this is what Jesus does. He seeks us out and he calls us to repentance and he calls us to healing. That's God's love and his grace upon us. And how do we respond to that? Our response should be repentance. Our response should be faith. It should be trust. Our response should be worship. You have been sought out by the Lord. I know enough about most of y'all's stories. I can tell you your story and show you where God was seeking you out. He has sought you out to call you to repentance, faith, and worship. Have you repented and believed? Have you been transformed? Have you been saved? And if you have, will you continue in worship with him? Will you? Let's stand and have our hymn of invitation. <laughs>